Well, you're witnessing something historic and epic because this is two series in a row that I get to start now, but we'll, we'll, anyway. I have to come clean about something. I don't usually get upset or, you know, visibly angry, but something happened a couple weeks ago that really got me kind of unnerved, and, and Amy didn't know I shared this until last service, and so she gave me this funny look like, you're really going to tell them this story? And I said, I have to, I have to, it's my obligation. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I get this text. It was actually t- two weeks ago yesterday, so it was a Saturday afternoon, and I was preaching that weekend, and if you ever see me on Saturday afternoon when I'm preaching, like, I've got big eyes. I'm freaking out because I, I always want to get stuff done, get it better, get it better, and so I'm, I'm always really busy on Saturday afternoons. But I get this text from her that said, epic parenting failure, um, most epic pa- uh, parenting failure ever. And I'm like, what, did she poison the kids or what? So I text her back, and I'm like, is everything okay? And she says, you just need to come home. So I go home, and she gives me this look like, she didn't say anything, but she gave me this look like, you're going to hate me. And, and so she said, you need to go in the van, in the minivan, and smell it. Now, I need to back up a little bit because the week before that, we had all gone to the lake with our kids, and our kids found a bunch of cool rocks, and to a four-year-old, every rock is cool. So we had a bunch of rocks, and they even found a bunch of shells in, in, this, in the lake. And so they put a, put a bunch of shells in this bucket, and one of them was this really big. I mean, the, the, the shell, the little snail shell, was about the size of a, a silver dollar. I mean, it was huge. And so we take these shells and these awesome rocks home, and we discover the shells are actually still alive. There's snails inside. And so for a week, we try to do our best. We feed them lettuce. We give them fresh water. You know, we try to, we don't know how to take care of aquatic snails. We give it a shot. And so the next week, two weeks ago Saturday, when I was working on my sermon, Amy decided, I'm going to take the kids to the lake, and we're going to take these poor snails back to their home. So she puts the bucket with the snails and with the rocks in the back seat on that bench, and she doesn't tell the kids to hold on to it. So what happened was, as soon as she went over a curve, or went around a curve, uh, turned the car, basically the entire bucket spilled out onto the back bench of the van, and what we quickly learned was not only did the snail shells come out, but the snails came out of the shells because they were dead. And their guts, I mean, it was like this muddy mess, where they got into the crevice where the seatbelt is and all into the back seat. And you don't know what I'm talking about unless you've been out to the East Coast and you've smelled a sponge dock. Have you ever smelled like or a fishing dock or a fishing plant, like the, the smell of dead fish? There was like 50 dead fish in this one snail. That's how powerful it was. And so I go into that van and I go, oh my goodness. And it was everywhere. The smell was everywhere. And I'll be honest, in the first moment, I'm thinking, can we just trade this in? <laughs> like, what would the dealership do if we drove it to the dealership and said, we'd like to trade this in for a new one? And what would they say? And I'm like, oh, we got to at least try to clean it up. So I'm like, okay, where do I start? Where do I start? And I started with some paper towel and some Windex. And I'm like, this is, this is stupid. It's not going to work. But I spray it all along the back seat, wipe it up. And all, the, all along, Amy's looking at me. And she says, are we Okay. Are we okay? <laughs> and I'm just quiet. You know, that's how you know I'm angry. I'm just quiet. And I'm, I'm like, I got to be working on my sermon. Why am I cleaning this up? And she says, don't worry about it, honey. We can clean it up later. I'm like, no, 
We need to get it out now because we're taking a trip to Oklahoma in two days in this van. We need to clean it out. And so I take this Windex, I take this paper towel, I'm cleaning it up. I'm like, this isn't doing anything. So I get out the hose. No joke, no joke. I get out the garden hose. And I spray off the entire back bench. And we had this little plastic collector in the back and it, all the water, most of it kind of went back there and the smell was still in the van. So I'm pouring c- cologne back there. I'm getting baking soda. I'm cramming it in all the cracks. I try everything to get that thing out. And I'm just thinking, maybe we should trade it in. It's, I mean, it's six years old. It's, I mean, yeah, anyway. Have you ever had a mess like that? Maybe it was something you did in your house, like you dropped this big jar of something and it didn't just splatter on the floor, but somehow it splattered up onto the ceiling. Have you ever had that happen? And you're thinking, maybe we can just like close this area off and avoid it forever. You know, you don't want to deal with the mess. It's like, where do you start? Where do you start? Now, here's the serious question. If God were to enter your life and evaluate everything, and if he were to look at your mess, where do you think he would start? Or do you think God would just say, you know what, I'm going to trade you in for somebody else, (laughs) someone who's got a little bit less mess. Where would God start to clean up your mess? Actually, 4,000 years ago, this was asked on a much larger scale. You see, God had already sent a flood to wash out the earth, to get rid of all the evil, and then it just came back again. In fact, the Bible says the stench went up into heaven, and God says, i got to do something about this. And so he looked at the whole earth, and you know where he decided to start cleaning up the mess? 4,000 years ago, he pointed to a guy named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to start with you. You're going to be the start of how I clean up the mess of not just you, Abraham, but all people. So for many weeks now, we're going to go through this this, uh, character of the Bible, this interesting person named Abraham, and what we're going to see is God calls Abraham to do some extraordinary things. Uh, By all accounts, we look back at Abraham and we say that he was a hero of the faith. Um, The New Testament calls him that he's a hero of the faith, And, and a hero is simply an ordinary person with an extraordinary call. God looked at the mess. He said, Abraham, you're an ordinary person, but I'm going to give you an extraordinary call. And today, as we talk more about that, this call, this this extraordinary call that God had for Abraham, what you're going to discover, what you're going to find out, is that God can have and does have an extraordinary call for you too. And right now, that makes like no sense to you. You're like, well, what do you mean like a call? Um, Don't worry about that now. Just think God might and he does have an important purpose for you, for for everyone. Now, before we even jump into the Bible to learn about this guy named Abraham, here's why he's important on a a global scale. Um, So Abraham, as you look at him, there's actually the three main religions in this world. They all point to Abraham. You know what those three religions are? Us, us, and us. Yes, that's right. No, there's other religions besides us. There's Christianity. We'll put them up here. There's Christianity, there's Judaism, and then there's Islam. Judaism points to to Abraham and says, 
We are the biological descendants of Abraham. It's all a genealogical thing for them. Christianity, like we saw in our reading just prior to this, in Romans chapter 7, uh, Paul said we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. It's by faith that we are connected to him. And then Islam says it's actually both. Like there's a biological connection, but there's also a spiritual one. And I, I don't know enough to explain it to you. We'll save that for another day. But three, the three major religions in this world all point back to Abraham as either the founder or a major influence for their religion. And beyond that, beyond, beyond religion, there's actually two major ethnic groups that also can tra- trace themselves back to Abraham. Ethnic Jews. Um, the, the, the thing that makes them Jews is that they're all descended from Abraham. Same with Arabs. They're all descendants of this one man, Abraham. In fact, they've done DNA testing to say, yes, you all have this common ancestor, Abraham. Um, so just as you look at this, even from a secular perspective, you should be interested in learning more about who this Abraham guy is and where he came from and what makes him so important. And as God is looking at the mess of the world, or as God is looking at the mess in you, God says, Abraham, you're the start. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look mostly at the background of Abraham, but also what God did when he said, Abraham, let's start things moving here. And like I said before, as we look at the way God gave him an extraordinary call, you're going to learn about how God calls you to do extraordinary things in your life too. And we're going to get rid of some of the the excuses we have for not following that call. Um, Before we jump into this uh, text in in Genesis, um, one disclaimer here is that there is so much out there that conflicts with what this section actually means. And one of, the big thing is, one of the big things is the chronology here. Like, what order did things actually happen in? And so there's lots of controversy out there. So what I hope to do is simply take the Bible at face value and give you the best possible interpretation of how things pan out. Um, I just want you to be aware that as we go into this, there are different ideas. And so if you hear something else, uh, some, something from somebody else that's different, don't call them a heretic. Call me the heretic because I'm probably the one that's wrong here. Um, But other than that, the other thing you see in Genesis is that usually you know how we have different chapters of a book, like there's 10 chapters. I'm kidding, don't call me a heretic. Some of you are still thinking about that. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth, it's all true. I feel good about this. See, usually we have a book, and if it has 10 chapters, you know, chapter 2 picks up where chapter 1 left off, and chapter 3 picks up where chapter 2 left off. You know, that's how we write books. When the book of Genesis was written, it wasn't necessarily written that way. A lot of times, chapter 2 actually picks up in the middle of chapter 1. Like it repeats some history from a different perspective or focusing on a different thing. So that's going to come into play today as we see the start of Abraham, the birth of Abraham, and the call of Abraham, and the history involved in it. All right, so are you ready? Should we just dive into this? Who's this Abraham guy? We're not even at fill-in number one yet. That's going to be a ways off. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11 because this is where we see the introduction to to Abraham's dad. His his dad's name is Terah. After Terah had lived 70 years, and I want you to remember that number. Can you remember that? Because that's going to uh, become important a little bit later, and I'm going to quiz you on it. Terah lived 70 years, and he became the father of Abram. 
Nahor, and Haran. Now, here's the first part of the interpretation dilemma. Was he 70 when these three were already born? Was he 70 when he started to have these three? And so, like, Bible scholars get into arguments online over this stuff, and it's kind of fun to look at if you have some extra time. What we're simply going to say today is we're going to take this at face value. Uh, Abram, Abraham, Nahor, Haran, all the sons of Terah, they were around at or near the age when he was 70. Is that fair to say? That's not going beyond, beyond Scripture or anything. The other thing to point out here is you'll often see in the New Testament this name Abram, and that was simply the name that was assigned to him from birth. And later on in his life, his name is changed to Abraham. And from what I've discovered, what I've learned is the name Abram literally means a, like a great father, great dad, or in today's terms, uh, his name would be Big Daddy. <laughs> Not making it up. Great dad, big dad. Um, and so he ch- eventually his name is changed to Abraham, which means father or dad of many nations. Okay, so this is the account of Terah's life. So this is just history from Terah's perspective. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Now, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran, his son, died in Ur Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. I'm going to pause in just a minute. I'm going to give you a family tree and a map so that you can make sense of all this because it's a lot of information right out of the bat. Next uh, next slide here. So Abram, Abraham, and Nahor both got married. Yay! The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, or it becomes Sarah later on. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Now see if you can follow this. She was the daughter of Haran. Did you catch that? She's the daughter of Haran. I'll put it on the screen in a minute. She's the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. And this is getting complicated. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Can we put the family tree up there? So Terah had three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran unfortunately died, but it seems he had three kids before that. He had a daughter, two daughters, and Lot. And apparently when he died, Nahor, Haran's brother, married Haran's daughter. So he married his niece. And then the thing with Abraham and Sarah is they can't have kids And if they do have kids, that's just kind of weird. So the conclusion is, if you think your family is messed up, (laughs) this is the family into which Abraham was born. Now, one thing that Moses doesn't record here in Genesis is is a detail that actually comes up hundreds and hundreds of years later as Joshua is speaking in front of Abraham's descendants. Joshua is going to stand in front of him, and he's going to say, guys, there's something you need to know about Terah, the father of our father, Abraham. And Joshua uh, tells them this. He says, this is what God says. This is what God has revealed. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? So God looks at all the people in this messed up world. He says, what a mess. This is disgusting. Where should I start cleaning it up? And he looks at the son of an idol worshiper, and he says, you'll do. I'll pick you. 
Abraham didn't have the healthiest influences growing up as far as religion goes or spirituality goes. Uh, He lived in a place and he lived in a family where worshiping various gods was very, very common. In fact, what we know about the place where he grew up, it was mentioned that they were raised in Ur of the Chaldeans. That was in Mesopotamia. Um, What we know about that is that uh, from archaeology, there were so many different temples in that city and in that area. They worshiped a variety of gods, and it was just so, so, so common. Like if you lived in Ur, it was just assumed you would be going to many temples and worshiping many gods. So there they are, and God says, Abraham, you're going to be the one. Now here's how the story continues. Terah took his son, this is unexpected, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, the the orphan, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, because they're kind of married, so they have to go together. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Now this is weird. Why in the world would Terah, this idol worshiper, want to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to Canaan where there's like nothing There's no big temples. There's no religious things that he would be used to. Why would he want to go there? But it says that that didn't really matter because actually when they came to Haran, they settled there. They planned to go to Canaan, but they settled halfway. And when you read Haran, you're like, oh yeah, Haran, I know where that is. Or not. Here's where Haran was. So here's Ur of the Chaldeans. It's also called, that's like Mesopotamia over there. And here's where Canaan is way over here. The thing is, they don't have airplanes, they don't have cars, so you can't go through the desert. That's like a quick way to die. So they would follow the fertile crescent. It's called a crescent. They would follow this all the way up and then come back down to here. But for some reason, for some reason, when Terah and his family, when they got up here to Haran, they said, you know what? This is good. We're going to settle halfway to where we intended to go. And you've got to be thinking, well, why stop there? Well, here's the thing. Haran was the major intersection for a lot of trade, which means that's a quick and easy way to get rich. If you could set up camp there and trade some stuff, you could be making lots and lots of money. But here's the other thing. You're not going to believe this. One of the major gods, actually the major god, for, for um, people in Mesopotamia at that time, they had many of them, but the one main one was the moon god. They said, that's the one that's like the god over everything. He's the main god. And I'm not kidding here. Sometimes I kid, but this is serious. They named this moon god Sin. S-I-N, Sin. So they worshiped Sin. We could have a field day with that one. But the thing about Haran is that's actually the central location where they worshipped sin. And so maybe it was the financial part, and Terah was saying, oh man, we could make a killing here. Maybe it was the religious part where they said, this is a great place for us to be. Whatever it was, Terah said, we're going to stop here, we're going to settle short of where we wanted to go. And I want you to remember that, because sometimes we settle short of where we are supposed to go. But the story of Terah ends right there. This is the only other thing we know about Terah. Next verse. He lived 205 years, and where did he die? In Haran. He never finished going where he planned to go. 
And that's where the story of Terah ends. That's all we know about Terah. So as Moses records this, he's putting Terah in this little chapter and saying, this is what we know about Terah. And now as Moses goes forward, he says, now we're going to look at things from Abraham's perspective, which means we're going to repeat some things that were in Terah's story, but now we're going to see the reasons why some of these things happened. So this is how he goes forward in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now, this is so hard because in chapter 11, in the previous sentence, it says that, Her- that uh, Terah died in Haran. And, and then this verse comes up. And what's the logical conclusion? Well, after he died, Abraham received this call, right? Actually, no, we're, we're retelling the story now from a different Perspective, And this is, this is uh, supported by what happens in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is preaching about Abraham, he says, Our father Abraham received this call while he was still in Ur, still in Mesopotamia. So now this gives us some reasons why Terah would be so interested in leaving in the first place. The Lord had said in Ur to Abraham, Leave your country. Leave your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And what would that look like when Abraham walked up to his dad one day and said, Dad, you're not going to like this, but I got this amazing, extraordinary call from God, and I think I need to follow it. What would any decent father do? Abraham, I don't want you to go, but if you have to go, we're going to go with you. And Abraham's like, I thought I was going to get rid of you. And so Tara says, look, we're taking the whole family. We're taking everybody. So he takes Abraham. He takes, the, the, uh, he takes Lot. He takes them all. He takes them all. And he goes, we're going to go to Canaan. But then when they get halfway, he stops. Now think about what this means for Abraham when God gave him this call. God said to him, leave your country. Leave your land. Leave the place where you know the rules and the place where you're protected And this is an agricultural society. Leave the place that sustains your life. And if I were Abraham, I'd be thinking, well, where do you want me to go? What land am I going to use? I need land. And God says, I'll show you the land. You just need to go. God says, your people, leave your people. Literally, just leave your family. And if I were Abraham, I'd be thinking, but my wife Sarah is barren. She can't have children. We can't make any more family. Why would I leave the family I have? God says, leave your father's household. Leave your dad's reputation. Leave his inheritance. Leave it all behind. And Abraham had to be thinking, well, what are you going to give me then? How will I survive? And God says, I just want you to leave. As I look at this, there were so many different things that were uncertain for Abraham as he got this call from God, but that's, that kind of taught me something about what it means when God calls you to some place or to do something. It's this. God's calls may require you going not knowing. Because, this is important, sometimes what God calls you from is more important than what he calls you to. 
When he looked at this mess of the world and he saw Abraham and his family in this place where there was so much idol worship and even his father, his ancestors were involved in it, God said, Abraham, you need to get out of there right now. And Abraham said, well, where am I going? God said, that's not important. I'll show you. Just leave. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. Just leave. I will show you where to go. Sometimes God's calls mean that you go not knowing where you'll go. Because sometimes what he calls you from is more important than what he calls you to. But when he does that, he will not let you go empty-handed. Because as he goes forward, there was no time for Abraham to raise objections and say, well, God, what about this? What about this? What about this? Because immediately after God said, I want you to leave, 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 he gives Abraham some promises. We'll put them all in one, here at once, then we'll break them down. God said, Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and, will be, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's look at that first one real quick. Abraham, Abraham is saying, what do you mean you want me to, to go away from my people, from my family? My wife, Sarah, is barren. We can't have kids. And God says, don't worry about that right now. I can and I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. So much so that people won't be able to say, oh, what family are you from? But all people on earth will know that you have become a great nation and I will bless you. And then he goes on, the next promise, I will make your name great. Abraham's thinking, will you want me to leave my father's household, everything he has worked for, and the inheritance that's waiting for me there? Well, what about, what about my livelihood? What about taking care of me? And God says, Abraham, don't worry about that. Don't worry about your father's name anymore because I will make your name great. And more than just bless you, I will make you a blessing for others. Um, it goes on. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Abraham might be thinking, you want me to move to a new land where people are already set up, and you want me to kick them out? What, what's that going to do? And people are going to hate me. And some people might like me. I don't know. God says, don't worry about them. I'll take care of them. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then here is the big one. All peoples, not just your descendants, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now here's what God is saying. He's not saying, Abraham, all people will be blessed by you. He didn't say all people will be blessed because of what you do. He said all people will be blessed through you. It wasn't about what Abraham did and it wasn't about who Abraham was. This is important. It was about who Abraham raised. Now, if you don't know the story to Abraham, cover your ears, because this is going to be a big spoiler. He did have a son. Sarah did give birth to a son. They named him Isaac. Abraham raised Isaac. Isaac raised Jacob. Jacob raised Judah. And on and on and on. Until one day, a father raised a guy named Obed. And Obed raised a son named Jesse. And Jesse raised a son named David, who would become king of Israel. David would raise Solomon. Solomon would raise Rehoboam. And on and on and on until two descendants of Abraham 
Mary and Joseph would raise Jesus, the Son of God. Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, not because of what you do and not because of who you are, but because of who you raise, because of who you raise. And as you take all these promises together, this one especially, you see that God isn't just telling Abraham, hey, just get out of here and go without, without any direction or without any hope, but he sends Abraham off with a promise, which teaches me another thing. If God is indeed calling you, God, God's calls are accompanied by God's promises. And he promises, no matter who you are and where you go, as far as the east is from the west, so far I've high f- removed your sins from you. No matter where you go, I will be with you always. No matter where you live, I have a house that's by far better, ready and prepared for you. When God calls you somewhere, he sends you off with a promise. Now, we've got to keep moving here. Some of you might be wondering right now what I'm wondering right now, and that is, well, does God, has God called me to do something? Does God have a purpose for me? What, could he use someone who's as messed up as I am? And I hope we've covered that one because Abraham was pretty messed up and he'll be messed up again. What is God's call? What is his purpose? If, if God had a call for me, what would it be? Now here's what I do know about all of us. If and when God calls you to do something or to be somewhere, all of us naturally settle halfway. You see, we settle in a place called Haran, in a place that's better for us, but not necessarily the fullest extent of what God had planned. We settle in Haran because when we move from Ur, when we move from the place we know we shouldn't be, and we get to this place that's just so easy and so perfect, and it's, and it's a, such a blessing for us, we say, well, this must be the place that God really meant. And so we settle halfway. And halfway simply means it's a place that only benefits me. That benefits us, and it does not acknowledge or serve the God who called me. So do I have a call? Does God want me to be somewhere, or where does he want me to go? Well, here's the thing. You can't really understand your call, much less follow it and answer it, if you have not seen how Jesus answered his call for you. See, Abraham was, was almost this, this type of Christ, almost the shadow of what would happen with God and his son. The father said to his son in heaven, son, you will need to leave this place. You'll need to leave this and go to a land that is cursed. Son, you're going to be separated from me. You're going to leave me, but you will faithfully carry my reputation to all people. In spite of that, they will curse you. And son, you are going to need to be separated from me so that you can venture into darkness to call out the people who live there. If you really want to know, does God have a plan for you? Does God have a call for you? It has to start by understanding the call that Jesus answered for you. Your call will only make sense when you see Jesus answer his. And the fullest extent of that meant that he not only left his comforts in heaven, but he lived in a world that was cursed by sin, and he faced that curse on your behalf so that you could have the same hope that Abraham has. 
And as we go back to Abraham, I mean, we have this all-complete picture, right, of, of what would happen in Abraham's life. And we know 2,000 years after him, the Savior would be born, and we have this complete picture. Well, Abraham didn't have that. He was walking forward by faith. And yet, as we see what happens next, it's going to give comfort and hope to those of you who feel like you've been settling in Haran. Here's what happened to Abraham next. Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Now get this. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Okay, remember I said you need to remember some numbers. How old was Terah when Abraham was born? 70. Good. 70 plus 75 would be? Good. You're a little slower, but that's good. 145. Um, And how old was Terah when he died? You guys are awesome. 205. So here's the thing. If, If Terah was only 145 when Abraham left Haran, who did Abraham have to leave behind? See, when you look at the, the simple, plain numbers that Genesis puts out there for you, the, the, the clear picture is all Terah knew was Haran. And at some point, Abraham recognized that his father would never leave. And so he said, Dad, this is going to hurt, and I wish I didn't have to do this, but God is calling me to someplace else. When God calls you, it might not be easy, and it'll almost always be into the unfamiliar Imagine what this meant for Abraham, leaving his father behind in Haran. Uh, Let's uh, see here. So he took along with him, Sarah, obviously. Like, she goes with him everywhere. It's like he can't get rid of her. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people, like the servants, they had acquired in Haran. Now, this, this teaches me something so great. Even if you've been settling in Haran, here's the cool thing, God can be working something in you, even in Haran. God can be preparing you for what happens next. Even though Abram settled in Haran for far too long, God was using that time to get him ready, to have the resources to live in a land where he would have nothing. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and finally they arrived there. Now here's what what happened when they got there. So Abram got there, he traveled through the land, basically to the middle of it, as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And Abraham was like, this is great. God called me to this place, and somebody already has it. So God goes to Abraham, and he says, look, to your offspring, I will give this land. But God, that's a crummy deal. I thought that the land was going to be mine. This is going to be my land. God's to your offspring. And instead of grumbling and complaining and going back up to Haran, Abraham built an altar there to the Lord because he recognized that when you follow the call of God, it's not just for your benefit. If it was just for Abraham's benefit, he would have stayed in Haran. But here in this land, this land would be given to his offspring. Next one. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel. He pitched his tent. He left his father's household. And now he's living in a tent. He doesn't grumble. He doesn't complain. But there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord because he recognized that at this point, the only thing he had was the promise of God. What this teaches me is that when you settle in Haran, that's not necessarily a bad place, but it's not the final place. Haran is a place where God can build you up, and this is all about you. It's about him equipping you with what you might need. But finally, 
Canaan, the place he wants you to be, is where you benefit somebody else. Uh, the last film, then I'll give you a practical example of what that means. If the only beneficiary is you, you're settling halfway. I'll give you an example. So somebody might come up to me and say, oh, pastor, we are going through such a bad stretch, but now we got this job, we live in this house, we live in this place, we have all these things. Life is so good. God has just blessed us so much. We feel like he has called us to this place. I'd say, you're probably right, but you're halfway there. Because if God called you to a place that's just about you, you're only halfway there to where he really wants you to be. I mean, that's something to think about. Here's finally what we're going to see in this series. We're going to see Abraham having to learn this over and over again as he continues his faith journey. And that's what it is for all of us, a faith journey. Where does God want me to be? Where is he calling me to? Where does he want me to go from? And as we learn more about Abraham and his life, we're going to see examples that teach us even today, 4,000 years later, of what it truly means to be a hero, to be one ordinary person who receives an extraordinary call. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, when the time was right, you sent your son into this this sin-filled world, away from his true heavenly home, and he lived a perfect life for us. And sometimes we have trouble figuring out what our purpose is or what our calling is or what you would have us do. And, and my prayer is that when we would find that uncertainty, that the thing we look to would simply be the calling that Jesus has already answered for us. So my prayer is that uh, for those who are going through uncertainties, or people who may have settled in Heron for a little bit too long, that you would give us the, the courage, the faith, the trust to lean on your promises and to go to a place that doesn't just benefit us, but is for the benefit of other people and in service to you. So bless us in that, in that end, to that end, and we, we ask you to continue to build us up in Jesus Christ, your Son. It's in his name we pray. As we also join in the prayer he taught, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.